Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 603, entitled What Kate Does. This is the 106th episode of the series, and there are 15 to go. Before we jump right in, a quick feedback reminder. You can always say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com, or leave a message on the listener line, 732-707-1815. I mentioned quickly before I jump straight in to the Wikipedia summary that uh, this is actually the third time I'm recording the first uh, 13 or so minutes of this podcast. There was a weird hum the first time that I thought I could fix, and then the second time there wasn't a hum, and now hopefully this time... There isn't a hum at all. In fact, let me just pause things to make sure indeed. And yup, we're in the clear. So only the best for you guys. So now here's the Wikipedia summary. In the 2004 Flash Sideways timeline, Kate flees LAX in a taxi cab she has hijacked in which a pregnant Claire Littleton is a passenger. The cab driver bails and Kate lets Claire go keeping all of Claire's possessions in her haste. She drives to a chop shop where a mechanic frees her from handcuffs, and while searching for a new outfit, Kate learns that Claire is pregnant. She returns to where she left Claire, Rend returns the luggage to Claire and offers her a ride. She drives Claire to the house of Lindsay, the woman who was supposed to adopt her baby. But Lindsay's husband has left her, and, devastated, Lindsay no longer wants the child. Claire goes into labor on the doorstep, and Kate takes her to the hospital, where Claire's doctor is Ethan Goodspeed. The police later come looking for Kate in the hospital, but Claire covers for her, allowing Kate to escape. In the 2007 original timeline, following the events of the previous episode, LAX, Saeed has come back to life after apparently dying. The others, led by Dogen and his translator Lennon, wish to speak with Saeed privately. Jack, however, wishes to go with them and starts a fight. Sawyer seizes the opportunity to obtain a gun and announces departure from the temple, explicitly telling Kate not to follow him. The others send Kate, Jin, and two of their own, including Aldo, to bring Sawyer back. Meanwhile, Dogen brings Saeed to a room where ash is blown on him, followed by being given an electric shock and a burn with a poker. Dogen later explains to Jack that he has diagnosed Saeed as being infected and gives Jack a pill for Saeed to take. Jack refuses and takes the pill himself, which Dogen hardly forces him to regurgitate, revealing that in fact the pill is poison. He explains that the infection is something that will, upon reaching Saeed's heart, 
remove any trace of the person he once was, and adds that it has happened to Jack's half-sister, Claire. In the jungle, Kate, Jin, and the others come across a trap. Kate activates the trap and overcomes the others. Jin and Kate split up. Kate follows Sawyer's trail while Jin begins to search for his wife's son. Kate finds Sawyer at the Dharma Initiative's barracks in the house where he and Juliet had previously lived for three years. He retrieves an engagement ring he had hidden and later talks with Kate at Dharma's dock. He explains that he had planned to propose to Juliet that he blames himself for her death, saying that he convinced her to stay on the island with him because he was lonely. Meanwhile, Jin is caught by the others, who want to kill him instead of taking him back. Suddenly, someone shoots them, and Jin is shocked to see that the shooter is Claire. That will now get into my thoughts about the episode, for what feels like the third time. Uh, the episode starts with a rather, uh, rather effective previously on Lost, Sawyer in love, Juliet in death, Saeed dying, Saeed dead, Saeed alive, all with a particularly Britishy. What happened? The episode proper opens with a barefooted Lenin making his way through the Temple of Doom to tell Dogen that Saeed is alive. I think just to remind us of the shocking nature of a dead character not dying. Back to the pool, it's hugs galore, and Saeed acts weak, albeit in his new, hollow way. I think it's great that we kind of have this little hint of Saeed already starting to be hollowed out by that growing darkness in him. We, of course, are happy that he isn't dead, but Sawyer succinctly puts we, the audience, in our place by reminding us that Saeed is an Iraqi torturer who shoots kids, so of course he deserves a second chance. With that sarcasm aside, Sawyer asks Kate a few questions about the other's security, and I'll just mention, by the way, that Oftentimes, I feel like I have on the tip of my tongue the urge to call the others Dharma. And uh, I want to apologize in advance if that happens. I can almost <laughs> guarantee that it won't have happened uh, in this episode, in part because I've now given that warning to myself the, the three times I've recorded this portion of the soundtrack. But <laughs> still, it's a fair warning nonetheless. Probably next week it'll be nothing but nonstop talk about how Dogen and the other Dharma people do this and do that. Anyhow, why is Sawyer asking about all this security? Because he wants to run, Kate. Which, of course, is a great time to flash sideways to Kate on the run. Some of it is from a previous episode, namely her uh, getting in the cab. And there's all sorts of tension as she tries to get out of LAX. There's arts with his butt facing the car as he picks up bags. Claire begging to leave. This is, of course, Claire and her clean crash day duds, of course. The cabbie splits out of there, out of the cab, that is. What a, what a hero. Then we see Kate taking Claire's purse and setting her free. Now, at this point, the show continues the pattern uh, of going from a flash sideways from one character to continuing with that character on island by wrapping up the Kate flash sideways with island Kate looking on as Saeed is brought outside for some air. Then there's all sorts of exposition. These people are the others. Saeed's wound is almost closed. Oh, and there's the offhand, very foreshadowy comment that Hurley is now in charge. It's delivered by Miles, who says it with kind of a quiet bite and sarcasm, but it certainly is true. It is yet another example of Hurley 
heading in that direction of, of leadership. Now, I'll just pause at this moment to say that there certainly was the sense, at least up to this point in the episode, that it was a very quickly paced episode with lots of action, action, action over kind of the preferable mystery, mystery, mystery. I think uh, it's not something that they, that the entire episode sticks with, but it certainly is, um, it kind of feels like one of those episodes at this point. Anyhow, the exposition wraps up. Dogen and Lennon come out to talk to Saeed, and only Saeed. Jack, of course, wants his answers, and he wants them now. Uh, it's it's odd how we've gone from the sagacious Jack of Faith at the end of Season 5, and just as soon as Great God Island takes away the answer Jack wants, now he's bitter and desirous of control. At this point, things escalate to a fistfight with some much bigger others, until gunshots sound and Sheriff Sawyer is here again to lead the jailbreak, though this time, notably, it is a jailbreak of one. He explains he's leaving and not with anyone else. Now, at this point, I think Juliet's memory seems to be quickly fading in the audience of, uh, in the mind, rather, of we the audience. She, of course, has only been dead a short while, perhaps a handful of hours in showtime. So I think perhaps we, the audience, were wondering if Kate and Sawyer would somehow rekindle that connection that they have. But nope, at least apparently nope. Uh, Sawyer hightails it out of there, but not before saying directly to Kate, don't follow me. It's not a bad teaser act. It's a quite good one, actually, even with all the action, action, action. It's quite fun. At this point, we get the title card. Then Lennon finds out that Kate will track Sawyer and bring him back with help from Jin. The show seems to be really dancing around why the others want our heroes to stay. Dogen speaks English to Sawyer before he leaves, in fact, saying he must stay. Uh, this, of course, a bit earlier in the, uh, in the episode. Um, Lennon also pleads with Kate that they must get back as soon as possible. Can't anyone simply say what's been implied in 602, that the monster is coming? I guess not. The scene ends with Kate talking about how persuasive she can be. So with that, we zoop, 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 and flash sideways to convincing runaway Kate. Persuasive runaway Kate, if you will. At this point, she pulls into a what appears to be a car repair garage, although uh, Wikipedia, rather interestingly, was uh, eager to call it a, uh, a chop shop. Wasn't that the phrase that they used? Uh, at any rate... Uh, there's a, really a delightful scene at this point where uh, she she holds the lone worker at gunpoint uh, in order to force him to use the such and such, and he calmly throws back that uh, you know after pushing his sunglasses up and moseying on over to her, he kind of throws back at her that what she needs is a different whoozy whatsy, which will require her to not point the gun. She offers him two hundred dollars and seems. It seems at that moment that this is exceedingly a mutual den of thieves. Perhaps that's where the Chop Shop uh, moniker came from. Uh, quick cut and uh, use of the punch press later, and she's out of those so-called bracelets. Uh, with that, she wants to change and is pointed toward the bathroom. With, by the way, uh, kind of a lack of concern on her part that the mechanic is just letting her wander off to the bathroom. No concern that he's going to come in and try and 
you know, be fresh, no concern that he's going to quickly run away. Um, there's At this point, we don't know if the money has been exchanged or not. Does he have it and could go and could call the police? I mean, I think it's ultimately not meant to be a direction that we're supposed to be that concerned about. But um, just a bit of a curious scene. It kind of feels like the story almost wants to head in that direction of, you know, this ruffian and what will he attempt and she'll punch him in the face or something but no instead she just wanders off to the bathroom and the next scene reveals why it's almost as though the the writers have said no leave her alone because she has to look through uh, her stolen bag of claire stuff each individual little thing in the bag is meant to tug at the heartstrings we start with a polaroid of claire pointing to her pregnant tummy next a pile of of uh, is it diapers is it little chain, you know cleaning cloths uh, for the little bottom next bottles after that a stuffed animal the message is clear what has kate done what has she taken from this this you know, well-meaning pregnant woman you know it's again just when we're starting to feel kind of sympathetic towards kate here is a scene for the show to really um, remind us to not always like Kate. Anyhow, she contemplates it, and with that, we head back to the temple where Kate is locking and loading in mission mode. She even, even rebuffs Jack's kiss, and in that, in that turning, turning him aside and her standing up for himself, I think that for we, the audience, this is something that feels especially good for us. It's something that we especially are happy to see Kate do to stand up in that way. At any rate, the story moves on into Dogen's lair, office, sanctuary thing. Uh, anyway, Saeed is half set up on the table in what looks very much like some sort of fitting torture, you know, given his past, it's fitting. Although there is, of course, the inclusion of that uh, ash-blowing mumbo-jumbo that goes on. I think, though, it's not all meant to be just kind of vague mumbo-jumbo. It is ash, after all. It should be be catching our attention to, uh, you know, given all that we've seen about the ash, ash lines around Jacob's cabin, and so forth. The show, of course, does not give us much time to ponder this. Instead, Dogen wheels up his electric machine and gives Saeed a few jolts, with no questions asked. Then the old red-hot poker to the tummy, with no questions asked. As Saeed wails, Lennon reappears and is told to unhook Saeed and take him out. Saeed is told that he passed. Passed what? Well, Lennon brushes it aside because the show is really, really delving into deep mystery territory. Now, here's one guess that I had the first time I saw the episode, and it is, of course, the wrong guess, as we learn pretty quickly. But my guess was that it was some sort of smoky test to see if this person was actually the smoke monster in human form i thought that perhaps the ash layer prevented him from changing into smoke and that the pain would give him reason to change when nothing happens then it appears saeed isn't the clear however as i said that is of course the wrong guess the act ends with lennon walking to camera then there's a really nice camera move as it kind of moves to the side to reveal dogan on the topic of saeed passing the test lennon supposes that he has just lied Dogen, who now has to speak English because we, uh, he knows that his translator won't translate it for us at home, replies, yes, you did lie. 
There's a quick shriek of Giacchino strings in horror, and the act is over. After the break, there's a scene that again starts to stretch credibility a bit, even in the constructed reality. It's Claire sitting sadly on a bench with the yellow cab pulling on in. Kate returns Claire's stuff, then Claire accepts the offer for the previously handcuffed, carjacking, gun-toting Kate to drive her on over to Brentwood. It feels like a stretch, especially for first-time viewers. I think even on initial rewatch, it could feel like a stretch. Now, why isn't it? Well, I'll discuss it a bit more in future scenes, but I think it comes down to this. These are two people who do ultimately know each other, who do on on some subconscious level have the urge to be back together, along with all their compatriots from 815. So that they are making an illogical decision in a constructed reality that has been constructed for them to find each other it's you know it's 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 a strength it's the show's uh pardon me weakness actually being a strength it appears to be a weakness that is to say it is actually a hint that thing where you're saying come on this kind of stretches it a bit maybe but it stretches it in the for the right reason not the wrong reason of of lazy authorship even with this not feeling quite correct though for first-time viewers the show does not let it linger kate and Jin are talking with the others for just enough exposition for aldo to gruffly make it clear that inside the temple they're safe from the smoke column that goes ticka ticka and for justin to half say that the ajira plane Jin is asking about is probably the one that landed there's also some more oopsies from Justin, mentioning that the French woman has been dead for years. With that, Aldo gives a nice red shirt's lament, which also serves to remind the audience who he was, as of course the Hydra guard that Kate knocked out the, uh, the butt of her gun. Then Kate, right after that story of him getting knocked out, Kate knocks him out, sets off Rousseau's trap, knocking out Justin. It's been a fun little scene so that she can escape. Meanwhile... Back at the temple pool, Saeed is looking quite worse for wear, uh, with saying things like, they didn't ask me any questions. I couldn't help but think, how very Empire Strikes Back of you, Han Solo. Jack then goes to the guards and demands that they step aside. There's a funny little moment where the guards kind of puff up their chests and look at each other, then step aside. Jack looks oddly proud of himself, despite the fact that in the next scene, Lennon is happy that Jack decided to come on his own. Dogen tells Jack that Saeed must take the green pill, which made me think, how very Matrix, Neo. Anyhow, it's explained that they were diagnosing Saeed, not torturing him, and that Jack must give Saeed the pill, as it must be taken willingly. And there's more, as Dogen reminds Jack and us that our hero is flawed indeed. I'm not going to give anything to Saeed unless I know what's in it. Tell me, Shepard. Your friend. How did he get shot? He was, um... He was helping me. So, it was your fault? Yes. And there have been others who were hurt or died helping you? Yes. 
Well, then this is your chance to redeem yourself. It's medicine, and your friend needs it. What happens if I don't give it to him? The infection will spread. Now, of course, that scene includes that vague, obligatory talk of his infection. And while first-time viewers bang their head against the TV and wish that whatever the infection is would simply be stated, I think to a certain degree it plays towards the strength of the show, knowing that there's ultimately not some sort of uh, scientific reason behind it. It is in that category of the island's uh, faith, of its magic, of its old medicine, of its ancient ways, that department. So sometimes less is indeed more. Back at the pool, there's a bit of chummy dialogue about Saeed not seeing a white light and not being a zombie. Jack arrives and dismisses Miles and Hurley. The former says they're off to the food court. The latter bristles at being left out. Once again, Hurley wants more of that leadership role. It is so, so omnipresent as we move closer and closer to his uh, ultimate installation in that role. Jack, at this point, gives a lovely little speech about trust and then wonders if Saeed should take the pill. Rather annoying, Jack just plays with the pill. And uh, this, of course, at this highest moment of tension. So the story does not stick <laughs> with the two of them, but instead moves to Kate and Jin. Jin is set on finding out where the darn gyroplane is. And Kate says that she just needs to find Sawyer and they'll figure things out together. Aw, oh, how sweet. Always drawn to the last man to throw her away. Now, we have a flash sideways to Kate and Claire. Claire is happy that the adoptive couple lives in a nice neighborhood, and Kate silently wonders how in the world the happy couple could have forgotten to pick her up at the airport. We quickly find out the answer, and we also get an opportunity to see Kate and Claire's link grow. Um... Will you come in with me? Are you kidding me? Please, I, I just... I really don't want to go up there on my own. Hi. Uh, hi, uh, Mrs. Baskin. I, I'm, I'm Claire Littleton. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, my husband. He left me. And believe me, I wanted a baby so much. But I can't do it alone. I'm sorry. Look, I know I should have called you. So I... You just changed your mind? Look, my, my life is just a little bit complicated you right came now. all the way from Australia and you don't call? Oh, my God. <gasps> Are you okay? No, it's coming! I think now's a, a good as time as any to just, again, repeat that, yes, there's kind of this janky story of them hanging out together 
after you know, Claire having been, frankly, the victim of a carjacking. Um, still, though, it can be answered with that that notion that there is this subconscious feeling of trust between the two women. Um, let's not forget, of course, kind of at, at Claire's most um, most vulnerable when she gave birth. Uh, who was there? Who was the one to, to take her through that? It was Kate. I'm sure you don't forget. Uh, but I think that here Claire unknowingly is back to uh, to being um, well to being pregnant again, quite frankly. And um, so, who better than to help her through that than the person who did the first time? At any rate, the flash sideways, as you heard, is over. Kate shows up at this point in the most drab-looking version of Othersville that we've seen. Dead autumn leaves spelling out the end, the twisted playground toys, the rotting fence, and so forth. Excellent decoration here. Kate uh, then makes a beeline for Sawyer's old cottage, where he is in his old bedroom, pulling up a floorboard. Leave it to Sawyer, of course, to always have a backup strategy. Out of the hidden box, he takes something. Oh, good. Especially we uh, wearing the, the new first-time viewer hat, might say. Another hidden little something to keep track of, like Sawyer's letter or Kate's plane. Luckily, we're not that far away from the reveal. However, not quite yet. The scene and act wrap up with Sawyer finding her and her saying that she was worried about him. After the act break, there's a fun scene that actually keeps getting better and better. Kate, uh, we're in Flash Sideways, of course. Kate drives Claire to the hospital and is apparently ready to skedaddle. But when she sees the cops kind of routinely driving in behind her, she decides to stick with Claire. Claire's a nervous mess, so Kate storms to get a doctor. And who is it? It's Ethan calling himself Dr. Goodspeed. Here, in that moment, we're, we're meant to be kind of wowed. Ethan is back. Ethan's here, too. Um, it's meant to not quite make sense because, well, how, what was Ethan's relationship? This, of course, not makes sense to first-time viewers. You know, Ethan was there for Dharma and so on and so forth, but now there's no Dharma because the island is... All of that is kind of uh, a question. However, I would argue that that hides the real clue, that he's going by his parents' name almost as though there never was a dharma, which in, its, in and of itself is a, a bit of a, mis, uh, a misdirect, because it's also in line with the fact that in, here, in this place of the Flash Sideways, you are drawn to family. Of course we can imagine he's drawn to just hanging out with his parents. Um, why not? <laughs> Aren't these other people drawn towards their family, whether it's... Uh, family by relation or family by uh, by experience, as we see in the case of our 815 survivors. At any rate, uh, Ethan enters Claire's hospital room. Things go from kind of cute, oh, there's Ethan, to immediately creepy, as I think that we are all surely suddenly mentally transported to the last time these two were in a room together at the staff when she was being kept under lock and key. Nonetheless, the scene quickly moves in the opposite direction. Ethan is warm and caring, giving Claire every option and every every update uh, while he's cool as a cucumber. 
Even when the fetal heart monitor goes flatline, he's calm and assumes the baby has simply moved. In the chaos, Claire calls the baby Aaron, and here there's a wonderful, unforced, maybe it was scripted, I don't know, I'm not saying it wasn't scripted, I'm not saying that it was improvised, but it does not appear forced, this moment where Kate seems to have the faintest flicker behind her eyes of something when Aaron's name is mentioned. I would argue that it is the first of what we come to know as those full flashes of realization that we'll see later in the season. This time, though, it's kind of the start of a feeling that doesn't quite materialize. At this point, his name is, maybe not at this point, soon enough, Aaron's name is repeated by Ethan, and again, the camera is on Kate. There's a little eye movement from right to left. It's kind of a subtle turn of the head, almost, that's saying, wait, that sounds, oh, never mind. It's fantastic. It's it's proof that the show always has a plan. Now, of course, before season six, they had the plan about what the flash sideways were and all that, but they're leaving the smallest of breadcrumbs. breadcrumbs. It doesn't need to be the big breadcrumb of of uh, the Adam and Eve skeletons that you promptly, maybe you don't forget about, but you say, oh, they never do anything, they never do anything, and then they do, and you say, wow, there was a plan. These are just, that's meant to call attention to the plan, Adam and Eve do. Here, it's just little, little breadcrumbs. Absolutely wonderful. Anyhow, the sideways concludes, and Kate and Sawyer are sitting on the sub dock, uh, and have a little chit-chat. And there's kind of an odd uh, costuming moment. They're kind of essentially in matching jeans and similarly colored brown shirts. Just kind of a weird color palette. Anyhow, Kate expositions that, these, that she's there to find Claire, just so that we'll all remember. However, it is reminded to us in an episode where Kate finds Claire in the flash sideways. Kate cares enough to find her on the island and cares enough to find her in the next world. However, however, the focus of the scene is certainly what comes next, that Sawyer has a good cry about who is to blame for Juliet's death. It's mine. She was sitting right there, right where you are now, trying to leave this place. I convinced her to stay. I made her stay on this island because I didn't want to be alone. You understand that, right? I think some of us are meant to be alone. So I'm asking to marry me. As Sawyer throws away his engagement ring, it's just a remarkable scene, not only for the pure emotion of it, because it's actively setting up the end of the series. The idea that we are meant to be alone versus finding your true love again one day. With that, Sawyer walks off and Kate cries and cries and cries. 
but here it's different. I can't help but hate her at that moment, crying for the boy she can't have because he loves the dead girl. I say simply, too bad, Kate, too bad. Story moves to Dogen playing with a baseball. Perhaps he keeps it on his desk as a memento of home, I don't know. Jack asks what it is, and Dogen's response is that it's a baseball. And I think that that's meant to be reminiscent of the saying, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. A clue to us, perhaps, that we shouldn't take every HD screen cap of Dogen's desk and search it for the last clue. In a great character moment, Dogen explains he doesn't speak English to the group so that a distance can be kept from those he's there to protect. He tries to access Jack the Man of Faith by reminding him that everyone was brought there. But Angry Jack is, of course, what is present thus far this season, and his anger has also extended to not giving Saeed the pill. It's season one, Jack, who's back, and he's making all the wrong decisions with the line, I don't trust myself, so why should I trust you? Jack tries popping the pill, which Dogen extracts with martial arts moves and admits, to end the act, that the pill is poison. After the act break, there's a quietly resting Claire looking at the sonogram printout of baby Aaron. There's sweet and lovely Giacchino music. LAPD comes along looking for that mysterious Kate, and as Claire explains that she, referring to Kate, was just the cab driver, there's a sharp cut to Kate hiding around the bend, and there's a sharp increase to the tense music. It's a really nice setup that Giacchino kind of leads, leads the way on. Sweet music belying the shock ahead. There's the standard dialogue about the cops investigating, and, again, the fact that Claire is covering for Kate, a stranger, does seem to be a bit of a stretch. It, again, it makes more sense, keeping in mind, of course, that they do know each other on a certain level. It is, again, a story minus that actually is a story plus. Then from there, they go from dipping a toe in to taking a, a jump towards spilling the beans. You didn't have to do what you did either. Aaron's a great name. I don't know why I said it. It's like, I don't know, I knew it or something. I think you should keep him. Well, um, good luck. Yeah. Me too. Note that Claire says, it's like I knew it or something. There it is, the show holding it out, all out there, just for a moment. A big clue hiding is nothing more than a passing comment. Absolutely wonderful there. With that, the story returns to Kate getting water in Othersville, as Sawyer silently wanders on by. And the story moves on to the temple, where Jack is given tea and asks why they would want to poison Saeed. And finally, finally, the answer comes. We believe he has been... Closest translation is claimed. Claimed. By what? There is a darkness growing in him. And once it reaches his heart, 
everything your friend once was will be gone. Now, how can you be sure of that? Because it happened to your sister. What a wonderful inclusion of the word darkness. It's so evocative of the smoke monster, so wonderfully spelled out in simple terms that the darkness is growing, say it has been claimed, and it's irreversible. And of course, what a cliffhanger with which to end. Jack's sister, the secret that we knew about before him, that he so shockingly had to hear about, and what a way to end the episode. But it is, of course, not actually the end of the episode. We see Jin by himself having a lovely little drink by the stream. My head. Now, where's that bitch? I don't know. You don't understand. I'm going back to the temple. Yeah, right. It looks like he's alone. Maybe we should take him back. Or maybe we didn't find him alive. Although, no, we can't. He's one of them. He may be one of them. Oh, hey! Jin having been caught by a bear trap, it appears to be curtains for him. Where are you going? And with that, the real cliffhanger to the episode. We get first a wonderful long shot of a frizzy-headed blonde figure. Claire? Then the close-up of the dirty, confused wild woman. Claire's return to the island her claimed darkness in full bloom. It really is a great way to end an episode that is a bit of a downgrade from the season finale, but it's a fine episode on its own. Um, to have the, you know, to have the sweet Claire, who I think we remember best in that pregnant, maternal, delicate state, um, who was almost at her best at that point because when she became a mother, she kind of was tied to the baby. The baby is tied to the beach. There was just a little bit less for her to do. Um, but when she was the camp's concern, the community's concern, hope and motherhood and, and all of that, um, that's how we remember her best. And to go from seeing her like that in the flash sideways to just this, this little head bob that she does as she sees Jin. It's not just the the wig or the hairstyle that, 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 that they give her to make her look kind of, you know, dirty and, and disheveled, but also just there's this wonderful acting out of her where it's this just kind of ticky, you know, uh, scary person and a fantastic, fantastic cliffhanger, a fantastic way to propel us to next week. Of course, we aren't there yet. Let's take a look at some of the... Uh, the Fairly lengthy bit of trivia available on Lostpedia, which says first, with this episode, Kate becomes the first character to have a flashback episode, a flash forward episode, and a flash sideways episode centered solely around her. Next, from Lostpedia, this is the first episode to have a solo centric episode focused on a Flight A15 survivor since the season five, whatever happened, happened. Also, a Kate centric episode a span of nine episodes. Third, from the end, when Hurley asks Saeed if he was a zombie, this is an inside reference to the running joke 
on the official Lost podcast that the non-existent Season 7 would be called The Zombie Season. Second to last year, the title of this episode is a reference, of course, duh, to the season two episode, What Kate Did. And last, but certainly not least, in the flash sideways where Kate and Claire are in the cab, and the cab driver slams on the brake so as not to hit Artst, Artst yells, I'm walking here, I'm walking here. This is a memorable line uttered by the crippled Ratso Rizzo, played by Dustin Hoffman in the film Midnight Cowboy, in a scene where he is crossing a street and nearly hit by a car. Certainly a line that is repeated uh, in other uh, in other places as well as an homage. Certainly Back to the Future 2 comes to mind. Also a story that takes place in the future just as uh, the Flash Sideways are taking place in the future, not the past. Anyhow, let's take a quick look ahead to next week. Next week will be 604 The Substitute. In the uh, next month or so we have Lighthouse, Sundown, Dr. Linus and more. Just a wonderful stretch of episodes as we tick ever closer and closer to the end. With that, thank you everyone, as always, for listening. It's always so wonderful to get together and talk Lost with you. I also suspect that my uh, my microphone problem subsided. I don't know what I did to fix it. I fiddled with some things that didn't work, and I fiddled with some things, and they did work. So hopefully you were able to slog through the beginning with that that bit of a hum, if indeed the hum remains there when this uh, gargantuan garage band file gets turned into an MP3. But enough tech talk for me. I'll certainly talk to you all again next week for 604 Substitute. And with that, take care, everybody, and bye bye. <laughs>